Hey everybody, welcome to the show, I'm your host Mike Schaefer, I, I'm not going to vent, I, I want some help from the listeners here, um, and maybe I should just do a how-to on bug spray, mosquito repellent, I was outside yesterday actually, was going to be outside uh, talking to someone who was doing work around the house, and I knew the bugs in the late afternoon into evening, uh, they get bad. The mosquitoes uh, are worse at that time of day. No, this was the same growing up in Michigan. Older I get, the more I don't want to deal with bug bites. Same as older I get, I don't want to deal with sunburn. Uh, put a lot of sunscreen on the other day and avoided almost all of the burn, which is a success. Same with bug bites. I sprayed my legs and my feet. I was out in shorts and flip-flops. And I didn't spray my head or my face um, or my arms. Normally I'll spray my arms, but I, I didn't. And then, I, you know, I'm pretty good at catching them as they're flying towards me and settling and doing what mosquitoes do best, sucking blood and causing very itchy bumps on your body and uh so i'm used to, to noticing them but i didn't see anything and and then nothing happened i came out later mother-in-law was out with me and she saw one on my forehead on my forehead and now i have a mosquito bite on my forehead they they couldn't do my legs my legs i, I got like one on my ankle uh I think one got inside after I had showered and it got on me, but when the spray was on there, nothing. But they went looking, they couldn't do the legs, so they just went up higher and higher until they went. Got one or two on my arms, one on the forehead. Uh, it doesn't itch that bad, it's fine. My question to anyone listening is, other than the spray or just straight up not going outside, how do you avoid the mosquito bites. How? Um, evidently, you can get. I didn't know this. My wife was telling me you can, you can like get a family of bats. Bear with me here. Uh, a family of bats, which uh, colleague and I were talking about what they're called. I heard a buffalo or, or bison. Uh, um, uh, they're called a colony of bats, which isn't all that exciting. Although I, I don't think I'd want to bump in to a colony. Of bats. Either way, I guess you can you can get it. A little black box, house them in, and and they feed on mosquitoes. Um, hummingbirds might also feed on mosquitoes. You can get a feeder. Serves dual purposes: entertainment for the cats, and then food for the hummingbirds. And hopefully, it lessens that mosquito population, so they're not eating me as much. Biting me. Feeding off of me. Anyway, what a start to, what a start to the episode. Um, I'm going to take a, a little break today in today's episode with the themed, sort of the, th- the summer themed episodes. And I'm going to go back to the Scientific American Supplement well. It uh, feels like it's been a little while, because it has, and he just... You know, sometimes you just get that inkling, like, there's a, you know, a, you're feeling like it's been a while since you've, you've worked out, or, you know, there's a restaurant you like, or 
you're just itching to, to do something you, you like but haven't done in a while, well, the Scientific American Supplement is that for me and for the show. And so we're going to we're gonna get into an article today that I found that I know you're going to like and enjoy. This magazine, the old magazine, is a wealth of fascinating articles. And it's, it's one, interesting just to read... Um, what they're covering uh, back then, but then in in, uh, in terms of topics and the, the type of research they're doing, how they how they approach their research, what they they found, their findings, and then compare it to what we know today, which interests me. So, link there in the the show notes. And uh, while you're you're in the show notes, clips uh, you know hit that subscribe button if you haven't. Reviews are are awesome. Like mosquitoes feed off the blood of humans um podcasts feed off the reviews of humans <laughs> oh that's funny uh true though so do that and then of course how to sleep podcast all the social media ways to to check out the show you'll see what the the logo the uh, masthead of the scientific american supplement looked like back in the day in the late 1800s check that out but for now, let's get into the article. So this was from Scientific American Supplement, uh, issue number 484, published in New York, April 11th, 1885, as brought to us by Project Gutenberg, the ebook website. On the Molding of Porcelain by Chaz Louth. The operation of molding presents numerous advantages over other methods of shaping porcelain, for by this process we avoid irregularities of form, twisting, and visible seams, and can manufacture thin pieces, as well as pieces of large dimensions, of a purity of form that is impossible to obtain otherwise. The method of molding small objects has been described with sufficient detail in technical works, but such is not the case with regard to large ones, and for this reason it will be of interest to quote some practical observations from a note that has been sent to me by Mr. Constantine Reynard, who for several years has had the superintendence of the molding rooms of the Severs works. The process of molding consists in pouring porcelain paste thinned with water into very dry plaster molds. This mixture gradually hardens against the pore sides with which it is in contact and, when the thickness of the hardened layer is judged sufficient, the mold is emptied by inverting it. The excess of the liquid paste is thus eliminated, while the thicker parts remain adherent to the plaster. Shortly afterward, the absorption of the water continuing, the paste so shrinks in drying as to allow the object to detach itself from the mold. As may be seen, nothing is simpler when it concerns pieces of small dimensions, but the same is not the case when we have to mold a large one. In this case, we cannot get rid of the liquid paste by turning the mold upside down because of the latter's size, and on another hand, it is necessary to take special precautions against the subsidence of the paste. Recourse is therefore had to another method. In the first place, 
an aperture is formed in the lower part of the mold through which the liquid may flow at the desired moment. Afterward, in order to prevent the solidified but still slightly soft paste from settling under its own weight at this moment, it is supported by directing a current of compressed air into the mold or through atmospheric pressure by forming a vacuum in the metallic jacket in which the mold is enclosed. The history and description of these processes have been several times given, and I shall therefore not dwell upon them, but shall at once proceed to make known the new points that Mr. Renard has communicated to me. The first point to which it is well to direct the manufacturer's attention is the preparation of the plaster molds. When it concerns an object of large dimensions, of a vase a yard in height, for example, the molder is obliged to cut the form or core horizontally into three parts, each of which is molded separately. To this effect, it is placed upon a core frame and surrounded with a cylinder of sheet zinc. The workman pours the plaster into the space between the ladder and the core, and while doing so, must stir the mass very rapidly with a stick, so that at the moment the plaster sets, it shall be homogeneous as possible. In spite of such precautions, it is impossible to prevent the densest parts of the plaster from depositing first through the action of gravity. These will naturally precipitate upon the table or upon the slanting sides of the core, and the mold will therefore present great inequalities as regards porosity. Since this defect exists in each of the pieces that have been prepared in succession, it will be seen that when they come to be superposed for the molding of the piece, the mold as a whole will be formed of zones of different porosities, which will absorb water from the paste unequally. Farther along we shall see the inconveniences that result from this, and the manner of avoiding them. The mold, when finished, is dried in a stove. Under such circumstances it often happens that there forms upon the surface of the plaster a hard crust which, although it is of no importance as regards the outside of the mold, is prejudicial to the interior because it considerably diminishes its absorbing power. This trouble may be avoided by coating the surfaces that it is necessary to preserve with clear liquid paste, but Mr. Renard advises that the mold be closed hermetically, so that the interior shall be kept from contact with warm air. In this way, it is possible to prevent the plaster from hardening, as a result of too quick a desiccation. I now come to the operation of molding. In the very first place, it is necessary to examine whether it is well to adopt the arrangement by pressure of air or by vacuum. The form of the objects will determine the choice. A very open piece, like a bowl, must be molded by vacuum, on account of the difficulty of holding the closing disc in place if it be of very large dimensions. The same is the case with large vases of wood form. On the contrary, an elongated piece tapering from above is more easily molded by pressure of the air, as are also ovoid vessels 16 to 20 inches in height. In any case, it must not be forgotten that the operation by vacuum should be preferred every time the form of the objects is adapted to it, because this process permits of following and directing the drying while with pressure it is impossible to see anything when once the apparatus is closed. Molding by pressure of the air. The plaster mold having been put in place upon the mold board and the liquid paste having been long and thoroughly stirred in order to make it homogeneous, 
and get rid of the air bubbles, we open the cock that puts the paste reservoir in communication with the lower part of the mold, care having been taken beforehand to pour a few pints of water into the bottom of the mold. The paste in ascending pushes this water ahead of it, and this slightly wets the plaster, and makes the paste rise regularly. When the mold is entirely filled, the paste is still allowed to flow until it slightly exceeds the upper level, and spreading out over the entire thickness of the plaster forms a sort of thick flange. The absorption of the liquid begins almost immediately, and consequently, the level lowers. A new quantity of paste is introduced, and we continue thus in regulating its flow so as to keep the mold always full. This operation is prolonged until the layer is judged to be sufficiently thick, this depending upon the dimensions, form, or construction of the vessel. The operation may take from one to five hours. The desired thickness having been obtained, it becomes a question of allowing the paste to descend and at the same time to support the piece by air pressure. The flange spoken of above is quickly cut, and the paste is made to rise again for the last time in order to form a new flange, but one that this time will be extremely thin. Then a perforated disc designed for forming the top joint and acting as a conduit for the air is placed upon the mold. This disc is fastened down with a screw press and when the apparatus is thus arranged the adduction cock is opened and the air pump maneuvered. If the flange did not exist, the air would enter between the mold and the piece at the first strokes of the piston, and the piece would be inevitably broken. Its object, then, is to form a hermetical joint, although it must at the same time present but a slight resistance, since, as soon as the liquid paste has flowed out, the piece begins to shrink, and it is necessary that at the first movement downward it shall be able to disengage itself, since it would otherwise crack. As soon as the piece begins to detach itself from the mold, the air enters the apparatus, and the pressure gauge connected with the air pump begins to lower. It is then necessary, without a moment's loss of time, to remove the screw press, the disc, and the upper part of the mold itself, in order to facilitate as much as possible the contraction of the piece. Finally, an hour or an hour and a half later, it is necessary to remove the lower part of the mold, this being done in supporting the entire affair by the middle. The piece and what remains of the mold are, in reality, suspended in the air. All these preparations are designed to prevent cracking. Molding by Vacuum The operation by vacuum follows the same phases as those just described. It is well, in order to have a very even surface, not to form a vacuum until about three hours after the paste has been made to ascend. Without such a precaution, the imperfections in the mold will be shown on the surface of the object by undulations that are irredeemable. The first flange, or vein, must be preserved, and it is cut off at the moment the piece is detached. Molding by vacuum, aside from the advantages noted above, permits of giving the pieces a greater thickness than is obtained in the pressure process. According to Mr. Renard, when it is desired to exceed one inch at the base of the piece, the maximum thickness usually obtained, the operation is as follows. The piece is molded normally, and it is supported by a vacuum, but at the moment at which, under ordinary circumstances, it would be detached, the paste is made to ascend a second time, when the first layer, already thick and dry, 
acts as a sort of supplementary mold and permits of increasing the thickness by about two-fifths of an inch. The piece is held, as at first, by vacuum, and the paste is introduced again until the desired thickness is obtained. Whatever be the care taken, accidents are frequent in both processes. They are due, in general, to the irregular contraction of the pieces, caused by a want of homogeneous in the plaster of the molds. In fact, as the absorption of the water does not proceed regularly over the entire surface of the piece, zones of dry paste are found in contact with others that are still soft, and hence the formation of folds, and finally, the cracking and breaking of the piece. The joints of the molds are also a cause of frequent loss, on account of the marks that they leave, and that injure the beauty of the form, as well as the purity of the profile. Mr. Renard has devised a remedy for all such inconveniences. He takes unglazed muslin, cuts it into strips, and, before beginning operations, fixes it with a little liquid paste to the interior of the mold. This light fabric in no wise prevents the absorption of the water, and so the operation goes on as usual. But, at the moment of contraction, the piece of porcelain being, so to speak, supported by the muslin, comes put of the mold where easily and with extreme regularity. Under such circumstances, all trace of the joint disappears, the imperfections in the mold are unattended with danger, and the largest pieces are molded with entire safety. In a word, we have here a very important improvement in the process of molding. The use of muslin is to be recommended not only in the manufacture of vases, but also in the difficult preparation of large porcelain plates. It is likewise advantageous in the molding of certain pieces of sculpture that are not very delicate. And finally, it is very useful when we have to do with a damaged mold, which, instead of being repaired with plaster, can be fixed with well-ground wet sand covered with a strip of muslin. Drying of the Molded Pieces when the molded pieces become of a proper consistency in the mold, they are exposed to the air and then taken to the drying room. But, as with plaster, the surface of the paste dries very quickly, and this inconvenience, which amounts to nothing in pieces that are to be polished, is very great in pieces that carry ornaments and relief. Since the finishing of these is much more difficult, the hardened paste works badly and frequently flakes off. In order to remedy this inconvenience, it suffices to dust the places to be preserved with powdered dry paste. And that is signed the end of the review industrial. And so finishes the article by Chaz Louth on the molding of porcelain. If anyone's thinking of molding some porcelain this weekend, Maybe go back to the original 1800s process that they're talking about here. Uh, if someone's never molded porcelain and you're inspired, why not start with the original process? Um, I fully admit and acknowledge I know nothing about molding porcelain at all. Now, the only thing in this ballpark is I worked as a fudge man. Michigan is a big tourist industry throughout the, the state, especially in the summer times where there's campgrounds and there's water and there are lakes and I 
happened to grow up on Lake Michigan in one of those tourist towns, and one summer I had a job working at a a killings, a fudge shop, and I happened to be the fudge man. I knew I knew nothing about making fudge or you know peanut brittle or caramel apples, but it was fun. Quite frankly, when people ask me, well, what, what job do you have the most fun with?" and that's oftentimes the the number one answer, uh, apart from the job I have now, where I get to see all sorts of amazing places around the world. But fudge man, right up there molding the fudge into exactly the shape you want it to be. There's a little similarities here on the molding of porcelain, right? Um, apart from the finished product, I would argue much more delicious, obviously. And depending on how good of a job you did molding the fudge, pretty beautiful too in my opinion, in terms of the artistry that comes into play there in loafing the, the fudge, but um, similar, I guess, but pretty cool all the same. Jazz Louth on the molding of porcelain from the Scientific American Supplement. So much fun to dip my toes back in this lake, see what they had to, to share, and hope you enjoyed it as well. Hope you enjoyed this, this episode. Uh, as always, they always deliver with some interesting interesting stuff other than that that's all for me uh, appreciate you listening uh, appreciate you checking out the show share with friends and family colleagues anyone looking for something to help them sleep anyone interested in cool random stuff like this products how-to manuals scientific american supplement uh, articles um, pretty cool stuff so share that out and then otherwise until the mini manual on monday i'll talk to you all soon